I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we dare our as we seek life. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Derish Chai Experiment, the show where we attempt to discern wisdom from folly. I'm Aaron Bishop. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hey, guys. Welcome to the show. And uh, we have an apology to make. So those of you who are listening to us regularly, you will probably have discovered that we didn't put out an episode last week. And uh, we apologize for that. Yeah, um, it's my fault. <laughs> kind of a funny story. Uh, we, I, I had a headache and we were getting ready to go into a meeting. And so I asked Rebecca for some Tylenol and she graciously gave me some Tylenol that was in her purse. And we went to the meeting and got done with it. And we were playing the time we had to record was after the meeting. And I just could not keep my eyes open. I couldn't think straight. I just, I couldn't, I just needed to sleep. Well, Come to find out, it was Tylenol PM that she gave me. <laughs> and, Oops. uh, yeah, she put me to sleep. <laughs> and we were leaving the next day for family vacation. And so we just didn't get around to recording it. But we are back. We, I am awake, as is Rebecca. <laughs> and we're going to do this. We really apologize for those of you who were wondering what happened to us last week. That's what happened. Nothing serious. Just a little bit of sleepy juice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so this week we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And uh, this I think this is one of my favorite chapters in Ecclesiastes. And just because of the way that he talks about extremes and trying to live between the extremes. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's just so important because it's, it's such a, a natural tendency to want to go swing to one extreme or the other. Yes, uh, and it's very dangerous to do that. Right. And because so, you ostracize so many people. You ostracize a lot of people, but you also are in danger of, of just missing not, the point. Missing the point and not yeah. actually enjoying your life because you're so busy pursuing one extreme or another. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just really like this chapter, what it has to say. But this chapter is also used for some other, uh, not so, let's say, maybe kosher things. Which we'll get what into. Well, uh, verse one. I have heard that verse used to uh, explain away why birthdays are uh, evil. Oh, good grief. Yep, yep. Better is the day of death than the day of birth. You know, because the Bible doesn't talk about birthdays. And, well, you know, Satanists, they celebrate birthdays. And the Satanic Bible says that the birthday is the number one holiday in the, the Satanic religion. And, well, obviously, Ecclesiastes says better is the day of death than the day of birth. So we just shouldn't celebrate birthdays. Yeah, you take that to its extreme and then you're worshiping death. death. Right. So, so, you know, I mean. We're going to see what he's talking about later in the chapter. He's not talking about don't celebrate birthdays. That's not it at all. It was not the point. Yeah. If if that was the point, then the angels would not have appeared in the sky in Luke chapter 2 when to Yeshua was born. The birth of they wouldn't have been there. They celebrated his birthday, celebrated that he came. And you know what? We can celebrate that we are here. That we can celebrate that those that we love are here in our midst and are, are part of our our lives and our experience. But let's not get into that too soon. Let's go ahead and let's read the entirety of chapter 7, and then let's come back and let's talk about the whole thing. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 Better is a good reputation than precious oil, and the day of death than the day of birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. 
Grief is better than laughter, for though the face is sad, the heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. Better to hear a rebuke from the wise than to listen to the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This too is vapor. For extortion drives a man crazy, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better the end of a matter than its beginning, better a patient spirit than a proud one. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger settles in the bosom of fools. Do not say, Why were the old days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance, and even better for those who see the sun. For wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves the life of the one who possesses it. Consider the work of God, for who can straighten what he has bent? In a time of prosperity, prosper. But in a time of adversity, consider, God has made one as well as the other. Therefore man cannot discover anything about his future. During my fleeting days I have seen both of these things. Sometimes a righteous one perishes in his righteousness, and sometimes a wicked one lives long in his wickedness. Do not be overly righteous, nor overly wise. Why confound yourself? Do not be overly wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not withdraw your hand from the other. For the one who fears God will escape both extremes. Wisdom makes a wise man stronger than ten rulers in a city. Surely there is not a righteous person on earth who does what is good and doesn't sin. Also, do not pay attention to every word people say, otherwise you might hear your servant mocking you, for your heart knows that many times you too have mocked others. All this I have tested with wisdom, and I said, I determined to be wise, but it was far from me. Whatever it may be, it is far off and very profound. Who can fathom it? So I turned my heart to understand, to search and seek out wisdom and an explanation of things, and to know the stupidity of wickedness and madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. He who pleases God will escape her, but a sinner will be captured by her. Look, said Kohelet, I have discovered this while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul is still seeking but not finding. I found one upright man among a thousand, but one upright woman among them all I have not found. Only this have I discovered. God made man upright, but they went seeking after many schemes. So, uh, there's at least one verse in there that causes some discomfort among modern audiences. Uh, yeah. The second at to least, the last verse. At least one. Yeah. But we'll get to that uh, very, very shortly. Before then, there's a whole lot of other things to to really talk about and to, to discuss here. So, as we spoke of in the intro, the day of death is better than the day of birth. And then in verse 2, it goes on to, it's better to go into the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Um, and sorrow is better than laughter in verse 3. The house of the wise is in the house of mourning in verse 4. He's continuing on in this theme of riffing on that being in sorrow and mourning is actually better than being in a house of laughter or a house of folly or a house of fools. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because you recognize the state of life as being one of sorrow. You're recognizing reality and you're not trying to hide it and drown it out by by laughter. Mm, yeah, I can see that. But I think it's also, to a degree, recognizing that the end of all man is death. And we all, you know, we'll all be there. Yeah. And we all experience it. We all we all have to live with loss, and it's to to sit in that and dwell in that and say, you know, I'm here, and and I I care for the person that's in this place, 
Right. You know? Right. And, and it's, I think it's maybe even more than that. It's just the idea. What is our modern idea when we start talking about or thinking about death, especially when we start to contemplate our own death? Mm-hmm. Our natural reaction is to want to go to something lighthearted, to avoid yeah, it, to not absolutely. think about it, to, to completely disregard it and not allow it to even enter into our mind that, you know what? Every single one of us is going to die one day. And I know that's uncomfortable to hear, but it's also something that we need to stop and we need to meditate on. And we need to really, really allow it to motivate us. Yeah. It's like the lyrics to the song is, death inspires me like a dog inspires a rabbit. You know, <laughs> yes. it's the yes. a rabbit is inspired to, to strive and to push and to run and to seek the goal and to get away and to to live and to maybe even achieve, to see tomorrow. Because death is on his heels. And it's that's the truth for every one of us. You know, I kind of, I've had to look death in the eyes. Yeah. And really, truly contemplate my own death. Yeah. And. You were moments away. I really was. And there was peace there. Hmm. Recognizing that, you know. Yes, my life wasn't great at the time, but I knew who was in control. I knew who was going to ultimately get honor from my life. And I may not have, you know, lived up to my potential at that moment, but it was definitely reassuring to know that that god was there god was pleased with my life right yeah that was a that was a very difficult time for both of us and uh you were really through sickness on the death's door just right there um it was only an act of god that really saved your life multiple Um, times through that process the doctor said he didn't know why i was still alive right and it's not the first time though you you were that's true (laughs) you were close when you were a child as well yeah but i think verse five in this it kind of gives us that insight of what the previous four verses are talking about it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than the song of fools well we've we've heard of the laughing of fools the rejoicing of fools the heart of fools in the house rejoicing from the previous verse and it's the, he compares it in verse 5 to a rebuke of the wise man. And, and the rebuke of the wise man says, hey, get your act together. Mm-hmm. Clean up your act. Get a haircut and get a real job. <laughs> We're full <laughs> get of it, today. Get it together like <laughs> your big brother Bob. <laughs> um, but anyway, the uh, the rebuke of the wise. And, and death, in the same way, it should cause us to stop and consider and contemplate. And rather than causing us to go into the YOLO, you only live once, let's go do what we want and have fun and joy and whatever. The house of fools. It's meant to get us to go to really stop and consider what we're doing with our lives and the impact we're making. And the truth is, if you like, if you really care for someone, you're going to Call them out when they're doing stupid stuff. Yeah, I'm not saying that that you're all, that everybody's always wise, but at the same time, that a rebuke isn't always a cutting you down, tearing you apart. It's it's hey, you're running off a cliff. Let me stop you. Let me show you a better way. And and hey, you could you could be better. Let's let's work together for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then verse six, he continues on with the with the the fools, the the crackling of thorns under the pot is so is the laughter of a fool. Sitting around a campfire, you know, you throw in some thorns pine needles, pine needles, or or bamboo, <laughs> and it just and it's gone. And it's gone. Yeah. And it just, just makes some, some noise for just a moment, and then it's gone. And it doesn't really bring you a whole lot of warmth. The, the, the thorns, they're not a great heat source. A little bit of light. You get some light, you get a little bit of heat, but then it goes away. And it really doesn't help anything. 
And I think that's what he's really getting at there. And then continuing on for oppression makes a wise one mad and a bribe destroys the heart. Yours says oppression. Mine says extortion. Uh, Oppression, extortion, bribes, Mm -hmm. all of those. Uh, Any of those can be kind of crammed in together there because you're taking from people who don't have, especially when it goes to extortion specifically. Uh, but then verse 8, it really gets to it. The end of the matter is better than the beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And I think that's kind of getting to the whole, the the modern idiom of don't count your eggs before they're hatched. You don't know the end of the matter. You you look at your chicken, she's sitting on five eggs, but you may only get three chickens out of there. Don't count your chicks before they're hatched. Uh, wait until the end of the matter. Mm-hmm. Before you start imposing good or evil or right or wrong on, or more, more like more good and evil, I think. Before you start imposing good and evil on any of these situations. And the thing is that when you're in the middle of a really tough situation, you're going to think that it is terrible. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible place to be. And in the moment, you're right. But at the end of it you can look back and go yeah but i learned so much and i grew so much and i became closer to god and it really was a good thing made me into a better wiser person that's able to i mean we've gone through that so many different times in so many different ways and seen god work in ways that if we hadn't gone through it it would have been impossible for us to see right yeah it's the it's the the trial by fire it's the the purifying through of of the gold in the fire Mm -hmm. it's the the fiery furnace you know it's it's that it's the wilderness experience even it's the test yeah it's the it's the test that takes away the dross and and allows (laughs) <laughs> you go for song lyrics <laughs> yep. in order to pass the test or in order to testify you must pass the test with colors flying is the the lyrics i believe yeah it's, better is the end of the matter than the beginning right and and the patience of that of this verse i think kind of touches on verse nine as well because what's the opposite of anger or vexation as my my translation puts it what is patience it's patience Right. Yeah. It, it being angry, being frustrated, getting upset at the situations or at people or at whatever comes from a lack of patience with the people, with the situation, with what's going on. If you find yourself angry a lot, it's because you need to really work on some patience. Or bitter or or just hanging on to anger. Yeah. Well now to be fair, not all anger, I think, is, is sourced in impatience. There's anger, there's righteous anger at, at um, being treated poorly or, or being treated with injustice or even oppression, as as Solomon speaks of it. Uh, I think there is a, a place for anger. There, there is a place for righteous anger. But we have to recognize that our personal anger, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't fix anything to be angry. Uh, it doesn't give us power or strength to be angry. Uh, we're not the Incredible Hulk, right? <laughs> we don't we don't get big and green and go smash things when we're angry. Well, we we might go smash things when we're angry, but yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't help the world to be angry. Uh, it, instead, patience is, is the is the wise action, and being patient in spirit is is the better. I think even in the end of verse 8, the pride, uh, I think that also touches on the anger. Because often when we're angry, it's because we have an overinflated view of ourself and or what we, we deserve. entitled to something else. Right. Well, it should have been this way. In a perfect world, this would have happened. I am so good that I shouldn't have to suffer from whatever the thing is mm-hmm. whether it's you know the traffic not working out right and you're screaming at the guy next to you who just cut you off or you know uh, something has actually gone terribly wrong in your life the the anger that comes from that is often just an overinflated view of yourself 
as you impose upon the world standards that you have set uh, set for it based on who you are and what you deserve so yeah it's a uh, patience is a uh, fruit of the spirit galatians 5 but patience is also one of god's qualities in, in exodus 34 when god passes before moses uh in in the hebrew in that chapter it's he's long of nose uh, it's that not Pinocchio, not Pinocchio, it, but long of nose means it takes him a long time to get angry. The the nose was a idiomatic for anger. Um, flare your nostrils. Yeah. You flare your nostrils when you're angry. It, if you have a long nose, then you're, you're not, you're, you're patient. You have, you're long suffering. Um, and, uh, yeah, just that idea that patience is one of God's qualities and it's a quality we're supposed to have as well. And it's a fruit of God's spirit within us. And we've said it before on this podcast, a lot of people say, don't pray for patience, because you know as soon as you pray for patience, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested regardless. Pray right. for patience. And, and I say pray for patience, but recognize you're going to be tested, and you're going to be forced to practice the patience that you so desperately need, that we all so desperately need. It's um, like saying... You know, don't take a math test because then you have to deal with math. Like, you need math to survive. Right, right. Math's important. Might not be fun, but it's important. Right, and every good thing comes through through trials and testing. Yeah. Um, the the kindness. Don't pray for kindness because then you're going to be faced with people you don't like. Well, guess what? You need kindness too. And don't pray for mercy or you're going to be faced with people who are unjust towards you. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? People need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. And mercy is, again, in God's character. Uh, it fits the same for patience. Pray for patience. Please. One of the issues we have with the world is there's not enough people praying for patience because they're all being warned, don't pray for patience. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, please do. Please, it'll help make the world a better place. Continuing on, uh, don't say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not wise of you to have asked about this. Why was it? Why were the good old days so good? You remember the 90s? <laughs> I did not enjoy the 90s. You remember the early 2000s? Yeah, those were okay. Those weren't so bad. They weren't. <laughs> <laughs> we were freshly married, didn't have any kids in the early 2000s. Yep. Uh, we met each other in 2001, married in 2002. They were still pretty rough, though, with right. all my health stuff. Well, but still, but we had, we had pretty, a lot of fun. It was pretty we good. got to visit Costa Rica, and we got to, yeah. we got to be newlyweds, and we got to go through some fun moves and live in the mountains of North Carolina. And, uh, you remember those? Mm-hmm. Don't ask about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't, no. Don't look at those and say, oh man, wish don't we could be there Don't say they were better again. than these. That, right. Right. And, and I really don't because I wouldn't want to go back. Right. We were idiots. I, we really were. But, you know, we, we learned so much I wouldn't want to go back to that ignorance. I wouldn't want to go back to the way things were before. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's the human condition. I mean, we all had that grandfather who always told us of the good old days. Walking uphill both ways to school. <laughs> right. And yeah. uh, and that's it's so easy to look at the past with rose-colored glasses. Um, to look at the past, again, another idiom. Um, and to put a tint on it that makes it look nice when it really wasn't any nicer than these days. You, mm-hmm. you had a good time. You enjoyed yourself in those days. Don't, don't say, why can't it always be uphill? I think it's kind of what he's getting at. You know, those days were good. Why can't these be better than those? Why were those better than now? You know? Right. Um, because the truth is, they weren't. They were just different. Right, right. And uh, better is definitely a qualitative statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so wisdom uh, wisdom is good with an inheritance. So yeah, I think in verse 11, it kind of shifts topics now to a discussion of wisdom. And to really that, that even-keeled uh, avoidance Center. of extremes that yeah. I was talking about in the intro. 
So wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see with the sun. With an inheritance? With an inheritance, it says. Mine says wisdom is as good as an inheritance and even hmm. better for those who see the sun. I mean, wisdom with your inheritance is good because then you spend it on wise things. But I, I would true. say wisdom is probably as good as an inheritance as well. Yeah. Both are probably accurate, but I, I think yours is probably more what he was getting at. Because yeah. uh, we've seen throughout that, you know, the physical goods, the, the the wonderful things of the world aren't really that great a benefit. But wisdom itself is better than foolishness. Yeah. Having wisdom. And he's he's gone through that multiple times. Wisdom protects us silver, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Wisdom gives life to those who have it. What does your say about silver? Wisdom protects as silver protects. Okay. Mine says wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. Okay. So that's, that's close. Yeah. But I think it's the idea that, you know, if you get into trouble, then money can protect you. It can provide for you. Mm-hmm. But at the same token, you don't need the money. If you've got wisdom, it can provide for you just as well. Mm-hmm. You, you can you can get by without the money with wisdom. And uh, I think that's important for so many of us to to recognize and understand. You can work hard for money, or you can work hard for wisdom. And uh, you're a blessed man and a blessed person, I should say, if you have both. Yeah. Uh, be glad. Oh, see the work of God, for who is able to make straight what he has made crooked. Mm. Yeah. That one makes me think of Yeshua and him healing the woman bent over. Mm. Expound. Well, who can straighten what God has bent? Okay. It's clearly, you know, you can extrapolate that only God can straighten what God has bent. And Yeshua, as God, straightened what God had bent. Okay. I can see that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I was thinking more of the, uh, I think it's Isaiah 45, that God is the one who brings peace and brings evil or calamity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if he's declared a, an evil day, who can make it straight or upright or better? You know, if he, he declared the, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile to Babylon, and who could, who could make it better? Who can, who can straighten that out and make it a good thing? Yeah. Well, well kinda... and, it, and it goes into the next verse right. talking about, uh, in the time of prosperity, prosper. But in a time of, of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other. Right. I think that's super important because when when we're, you know, living high on the mountain and we're like, yay, everything's going wonderful. Realize, you know, uh, this too shall pass. As we say when we're going through the dredges of life and we're saying, oh, I'm just slogging through this. Why do you know have what? To this too here. shall pass. Yeah. And and it's it's God made both and they both have a place and they both have value. Right. And don't when you're in one recognize that. God put you here for a reason. Right. Yeah. Don't always wish for the other. Right. So, verse 14. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of hear that being said in Gandalf's voice. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the return of the king where him and Pippin are sitting there mm-hmm. in Minas Tirith waiting for the attack of, of Mordor. Yeah. And Pippin's like, why does this have to happen? Or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, I can't remember the words. I can't remember the words either, but it's basically this statement. It's it's so do all who see days of distress or days of evil and wish that they could see days of good. But mm-hmm. you're here. Face it. Yeah. You, you gotta you gotta face this. You can't run away from this. You can't look at yesterday and say, Oh, but the gas prices were two dollars under Trump and they're five dollars now. Well, no. Face what's in front of you. Yeah. Rather than pining for what was. Because what was is no more. Don't live and in so the past. Deal with what's in front of you, and it might be that you're in a uh, a day of evil, and so deal with it because God has appointed it, mm-hmm. and it is His doing. And that can be really hard to uh, 
accept sometimes, I think. Yeah. Especially when things are falling apart around you, when, when life's not going well, when you're doing without just about every comfort that the world could possibly offer. Because we've been there, too. We've been there. And to, to say, why do we have to be here, God? Why do we have to go without? Why do we have to not have all of these things everyone around us has? Mm-hmm. And it's because it fits in with the, the theme of everything else we've discussed. It's because the that hardship, that trial, that testing, that fire, it's building. It's building wisdom. It's building patience. It's building kindness. It's building meekness. It's building, it's building the fruit of the spirit, and it's helping it to come out and to foster it and bring it forth. And just like the end of the of the verse in fourteen, man cannot discover anything about his future. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Right. You might be back up on the mountain. You right. might be down in the dredges. You don't know. Right. You can't tell from one day to the next what the next one's going to hold. And one of the things we can see throughout the Bible is that people will reach their absolute ends and then God will in an instant fix it and make it better. Or over the course of a year or a couple years or several days, he'll turn it all around. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a reversal of fortune theme that, that's all throughout the scripture where people are all the way down in the dregs Joseph being an example. Mm-hmm. And then in an instant, he's raised up to the second in command in the kingdom. And vice versa. The man who, he says, I'm going to tear down my barns and build more because I have right. so much I can't possibly have. And tonight your your life will be required of you. Right. Or or the, the guy who's sitting at his, I can't remember which king it was, sitting at his big old party and everybody's drinking and goofing off and there's writing on the wall and mm, you're gonna die and they die immediately you know or even at the end of the destruction of jerusalem where by tomorrow you know bread's gonna cost nothing and and the king right, didn't the, believe the assyrian invasion and the prophet isaiah prophesied by tomorrow bread will be a normal cost and they're all dies, dying of starvation and famine with a massive army of hundreds of thousands of troops on their doorstep. And they didn't believe. And, and Overnight, 185,000 of the enemies died. Yeah. And uh, the king of Assyria turned around and marched away. And uh, they walked out and had all of the food all of the, the enemies, all of the goods, all of the silver, all the any, anything they wanted. Everything was, was theirs for the taking. So, yeah, it, it's a... We've got to be very careful in our lives about imposing ideas of good and evil and about uh, drawing conclusions based on our current experience, Uh, especially drawing trajectories and saying, well, that was better, this is bad, and it'll never get better from here. Uh, That that depressive downward spiral that uh, is so easy to fall into. Continuing on, I've seen it all in... In my days of futility, there's a righteous one who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wrong one who lives long in his evil. Mm-hmm. That is uh, that is a truth of life. And this particular verse right here is actually one that makes a lot of people think that maybe Solomon didn't write Ecclesiastes. Because when we get to the book of Proverbs, we're going to see some things that are almost the exact opposite. That being righteous... will lengthen your days and being wicked will shorten them we've even seen it here in the book of ecclesiastes but this this particular thought that hey being a righteous man doesn't guarantee you're gonna live a long life yeah i mean there is no guarantees and i think that that's kind of what it's getting at right There's, there's no guarantees whether you're gonna have long life and prosperity or you know you're gonna live in poverty there's there's no guarantees that you're you know living for god and putting your whole life into living for god is going to amount you anything here on this earth but one thing we can guarantee is that if you're living for the kingdom of god and you sacrifice things for the kingdom of god god will reward you Right. But I think it's also speaking of uh, judging people. Oh, he died early. Well, he must not have been righteous. 
Yeah. Like yeah. me, I li- I'm living a long life. I'm old. I'm aged. I, I, God obviously favors me. We, we can't draw conclusions on people's state before God based on the length of their life or even how their life is going. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a prosperity gospel. Uh, you know, it's not, hey, God loves you. He wants you to have money and health and wealth and whatever else. That is a that is a gospel of the enemy. That is a false gospel. <laughs> the gospel has nothing to do with having reward here on earth. It's about bringing the kingdom here to earth. Mm-hmm. And doing that means facing hostility. It means facing an enemy that's out to destroy you. And that can result in an early death. It sure did for every single one of the apostles. And martyrs and... Right, martyrs and throughout the ages. missionaries and... and I mean, exactly. hundreds it's, and hundreds of people have died for the cause of Christ. And that's, you know, that's what we're called to do. Lay down right. our lives. Right. So, verse 16 and 17... Uh, they're actually what make me really love this chapter. <laughs> Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Oh my goodness. Do not yes. be wrong over much, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Yep. Now, now, the first time I read through this, I had to stop and slow down and be like, what? Don't be too righteous? What are you talking about? We're called to righteousness. We're called to obey God's law. We're called to do God's things. And Solomon here is saying, oh, just, just slow down a little bit. Don't be over-righteous. And, and don't, be, don't be too wise. And I think the point he's getting at is what he's talked about already. The wisdom brings mourning. Mm-hmm. Wisdom brings sadness. So don't be too wise because you'll never enjoy your life. And don't be over-righteous. Uh, the Essenes tried to be overly righteous in their purity they had to take three baths a day they couldn't have marital relations because that was impure their overt righteousness caused them to stop enjoying their lives well even led them the- to asceticism where they just didn't enjoy their lives because well we gotta be righteous even the um story of the good samaritan these these right. people are passing by this man who needs help, but they aren't going to touch him because if they touch him and he dies and they're near him, they can't, they can't go, go and serve in the temple. Right. And so their righteousness of, I got to go serve in the temple causes them to leave a man to die because they were overly righteous. There's, you know... There's a lot to that statement. Right. And and uh, being overly righteous tends to lead to self-righteousness. Absolutely. It's like Absolutely. the uh, the parable that uh, Yeshua tells of the man who goes to the temple and he prays, uh, God, thank you that you haven't made me a sinner and I'm not an adulteress and, and, and I'm not greedy and I'm not all these things. I'm not like that tax collector over there. Thank you for not making me like that. Right. And the tax collector is there. God, I'm a sinner. I'm the greatest of sinners. And being overly righteous can lead you to that mindset where you're okay. In fact, you're better than everybody else who's not righteous. And in so doing, it leads you completely away from the truth that you are a broken, fallen, nasty, rebellious, treacherous sinner. Right. We all are. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons I like this, because it, it can be so easy to impose these over, overt standards of righteousness on others, or even on ourselves. Right. Absolutely. Like, I refuse to wear any cloth that's not 100% cotton or 100% linen. Right. No mixed or, threads, don't you no, know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay. Um, or I refuse to, to drink any alcohol. I mean, there are situations where that's okay, but the situation I grew up in, it was it was more just because we got to be righteous and we got to make be absolutely sure what we never sin. Because if you get drunk even once, then you're a sinner, and oh, God hates that. God hates drunkards. So no, no alcohol whatsoever, and you end up missing out on something that God intended for joy. Mm-hmm. Because if you read the rest of the Bible. God intended alcohol for our joy, for our enjoyment. 
there is plenty of time to, and even, to abstain from it. There are plenty of fantastic reasons to abstain from it. But it's also, it's not something that should take over. Right. And so we, we there's balance. This whole part is talking about avoid extremes. Right. You know, and we don't. We don't want to cause anyone to stumble and say, well, you know, if they're okay with drinking, then I should be okay with it. And yeah, the next section, you know, don't be wrong over much and don't be a fool. Again, it's that other side of the pendulum. Right. And that, that pendulum thing is so easy to fall into. A lot of people come into the tour movement. They go to an extreme. Right. Absolutely. And we did it. A lot and of people, when they reject painful. tour or they, re- they go to the other extreme. Uh, it's super common. It's super easy to do, especially with you growing up in a very strict household and in a very strict school. And when people would leave, you saw them. They would go to the extreme and ruin themselves. They jumped off the bridge. I mean, it was just terrible. So it's good that you should take hold of this and also not withhold your hand from the other. For he who fears God comes forth with all of them. So in other words, don't, Hold back from enjoying yourself simply because it's not the absolute straight, hard line, righteous thing to do. But at the same time, don't go off into absolute foolishness and folly because, yeah. Middle of the road. Middle of the road. You know, just don't go to the extremes. Try to to thread that needle. You know, the the way is narrow that leads to life. The way is narrow. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, um, and and he's making the point that fearing God, fearing God is the important part. That's that's the beginning of wisdom, and that is the thing that is super important. Uh, wisdom makes the wise man strong, more than ten rulers that are in the city. Uh, this is the, the man in black. With your strength and my steel and his <laughs> brains, we can defeat 60 men at the castle gate. <laughs> wisdom yes. is greater than ten of those men. Right, absolutely. And do not take to heart all the words that you speak, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Mm. For you know in your heart that many times that you have cursed others. Don't pay attention to every word people say. This is really important in the Facebook world. Oh my goodness. Y'all can let stuff go. It's okay. Please. And people can say something and you can just go, all right, that's nice. Keep going they can even tag you in it and you can go i'm not gonna rise to this i'm just gonna keep going right right and and he's making the point that you know you you hear someone cursing you and get all so upset and angry and yet you yourself you've cursed others righteously unrighteously it doesn't matter you've done it and so don't you know don't one, don't be so nosy that you need to know everything that's going on in your, in your household or that everybody's saying. Uh, our kids have a hard time with that. Yep. We'll be having a conversation and they'll come in, in the middle of it. What are you saying? What's going on? Well, you weren't here for the first part of the conversation, so butt out. <laughs> yeah, there's that, that nosy got to know everything that's going on in the house or what everybody's saying. But there's also the uh, the double standard, I think, that's being pulled out here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The Oh, they cursed me. Yeah, they're evil. Oh, but that guy cut me off in traffic the other day. The, the jerk. Yeah. But you just cut somebody off because you were angry at the other guy and you didn't even right. notice you did it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We we do the same things. It's, you know, pull the beam out of your own eye before you start picking at the speck in another person's eye. Yep. And then the absolute truth, verse 20, for there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and does not sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. That is the reason we need a Messiah. And Solomon recognized that. We all sin. We all make mistakes. We all screw up. And uh, we need to be, we need to recognize that and we need to be more forgiving with others and patient with others when they are not as righteous towards us as we think they should be. So all this I proved by wisdom and said I am wise, but it was far from me. That which is is far off and exceedingly deep. Who does find it? Uh, I've turned round even in my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and a conclusion to know the wrongness of folly, even the foolishness and madness 
And I found more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are shackles. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is captured by her. So he's he's searching for wisdom. He's talking about the process here. The, the this this mm-hmm. philosophy that he's engaging in, I think, and he's you know I've everything I've talked about I've I've proved these through my own wisdom, being the wisest man ever. I've considered these things on both sides, and I've recognized that this is this is truth here that I'm that I'm imparting. But even he says, but even wisdom is far from me, and and who we'll, can fathom it? Right, and we'll even see later that the conclusion eludes him still. Actually, no, I, uh, and to seek out wisdom and a conclusion, to know the wrongness of folly and even the foolishness of madness. Uh, and he's seeking out this conclusion, and he's still not finding a conclusion in the areas that he's, he's sought. In physical goods, mm-hmm. in the acquiring of possessions, in the gaining of honor and power, in the wealth and distribution of wealth, and kids... In wisdom and folly, yeah, some's better, some's worse, but none of them are, are de facto conclusion of the matter. This is, this is what matters in yeah. in life. Now, we know what that conclusion is because we can turn the page and we can get to chapter 12 and we can read the conclusion of the matter. Right. We know what he settles on at the end of all of this. But here in chapter 7, he's still, what is the conclusion? It still escapes me. It still eludes me. I'm still trying to figure out. What is the conclusion of this? Because all of this stuff is true, and yet I still can't lay my hands on it. Yeah. And I think I, I find verse 26 to be kind of a inverse of Proverbs 31. Where he's talking right. about the woman who is wisdom. Well, at the beginning of Proverbs, he speaks about the woman who snares and captures and and entices and stay away from her, my son. There's entire chapters dedicated to that in, in the beginning of the book of Proverbs, um, which is, and, and yeah, he's he's riffing off that whole idea, and the the Proverbs thirty one, uh, virtuous woman, is the opposite of that. But it's the the woman who snares whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are shackles mm-hmm. is worse and more bitter than death well you know i can absolutely understand that and you know people who are in marriages that are just absolute hell absolutely the the torment torment of just being in that covenant relationship with someone who is never good enough for who's always they just can't get along and right. they just don't really constantly like each other tearing each other down yeah. constantly backbiting constantly fighting it, it it is almost better to have to just die yeah yeah and that's that's a horrible thing to say but Right, and and with Solomon, with his many wives, you got to imagine that at least a good portion of his wives were like this. Well, yeah, and I mean, they were... clearly didn't honor God. Right, and they they snared him and they captured him, and and he was not pleased by all of the women. You know, as a as a young boy, as a young man in the puberty, I'd read that part about Solomon and be like, man, that guy was lucky. and then i i started to actually get to know women and (laughs) now i've been married to the same one for 20 years and i'm like yeah that guy was stupid yep (laughs) one is more than you can handle (laughs) way more than enough what was he thinking he's supposed to be wise right yeah (laughs) well he did say that he pursued madness and folly as well. That's true. He did pursue madness, and he's like, yeah, that's the one I'm going to pursue. So, continuing on, verse 27. See, this I have found, says Kohelet, counting one by one to find the conclusion. He's still searching for the conclusion, and this is what he's found. And this is not going to make people happy. Which my soul is still seeking, but not finding. Right. 
I have found one man among a thousand, but a woman among all these I have not found. You have found one upright man. Now, mine doesn't say upright. Oh, really? It just says, I have found one man among a thousand. Hmm, interesting. Mine says, I found one upright man among a thousand, but one upright woman among them all I have not found. All right, so I have to I have to believe that that word upright is, is imposed in the text. It's something well, that it translators added. Uh, that's what I'm doing. And uh, the fesh, which my soul is not found, a man, one among a thousand. I found, and a woman, all these not found. Yeah, upright's not in there. The word upright's not in there. Hmm. Well, then what does it mean if that word is imposed upon this All right, text? so which still seeketh my soul, there's not found a man, one in a thousand, to be found, and a woman, and all these is not found. This is the really quick translation in my somewhat limited Hebrew. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, so who is this one in a thousand men? Now, this goes to the, the whole topic of gender relations in the ancient Near East, which is a really deep topic that a lot of people, I, I think, kind of get wrong. Um, especially with passages, Paul says, you know, I do not permit a woman to speak, or, uh, you know, a woman is not to teach men, mm-hmm. uh, so on and so forth. And and it comes from the expectations and the roles of women in the ancient Near East, because women weren't educated. That was not their job in society. Their job was to be homemakers and to bear children. They weren't expected to read. They weren't expected to think. They weren't taught how to how any kind of logic or thought processes or anything. And they tended to be, because of that, rather flighty and rather uh, gossipy and rather, mm. you know, the chirp, chirp, chirp. Yeah. Pick, pick a little more. <laughs> Boy, we got a lot of music references. We from do. <laughs> we do. But the, they tended to be a lot more flighty, a lot gossipy, and to just kind of go along with whatever suited their fancy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what Paul's getting at, and I think that might be why Solomon is saying here, I couldn't, I couldn't find him among the women. Well, it's because the women aren't trained. They weren't trained in Torah. They weren't trained in. They were expected to marry a man, and the man would would then impose the Torah upon her and would make sure that everything was done correctly in the house. And it wasn't on her to be in charge. That wasn't her role. Her role was, you know, clean the house, cook the food. Um, bear the children, bear the, raise children, the children, raise the children. Yeah, her her role and train up the daughters to be able to do this for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And that was the role of the woman. Uh, right, wrong, good, bad, it doesn't matter. That was yesterday. It just was. You know, let's right. not say that was better or this is better. Uh, let's not fall into that trap that Solomon so clearly pointed out in this chapter. Let's just recognize it for what it was. And recognize that that plays a huge part in why this is being said. Right. He's not devaluing women. He's recognizing that because of the role that they were expected to take in society, he's recognizing the fallout of that, I think. And so it's not yeah. it's not saying that there are no upright women, even though that would have been the fallout of... He's not making a, a scriptural exclamation that upright women simply cannot be found yeah he's simply pointing out that hey all of these women they're all flighty they're 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 airheads they don't really know anything even the intelligent ones maybe even the the queen of sheba okay maybe she was all right but i mean but she may have been more along the lines of the woman with who snares and snare yeah right trap yeah so yeah, or or yeah, she could have been more like the uh, the Jezebel type that the the woman who tries to overrule her husband and take control in the in the household and impose her will and become the one in charge. So I, I really think that's what it's getting at. We don't need to 
oh, we don't need to look at the Bible and go, oh, the Bible backward in its gender roles. Oh, it's so, it's so ancient. Oh, don't they know that women are just as good as men? No, we need to recognize in the ancient Near East, this is just the way things were, the, the way that the gender roles played out. And yes, there are only two genders. I'm going to go right out and say it. Yes. <laughs> but the uh, this is just the way the gender roles played out. And the fallout of that is what Solomon's recognizing in this passage. So I hope that helps those who, who run across this and they get that uncomfortable feeling in the pit of their stomach, especially the ladies as they read this. He's not saying you can't be upright. He's not saying you can't be righteous. He's saying that it's rare and it's especially rare among the women he's encountered because their role was they weren't raised to even know what was right and wrong or how to do that. That wasn't they weren't as concerned about that. But I think so. if you look at the rest of scripture, you see women who oh, are yeah. upright. You see women oh, yeah. who are honored by God. You see women who who are are lifted up and, and who do the good thing and the right thing but everybody wants to point to deborah and jael but i would but i would Mary, say hannah, hannah abigail david's wife abigail right. saving david from making a terrible mistake anna right there's elizabeth there's a lot of women who are mary magdalene who are highly honored throughout scripture mm -hmm. and who are proven to be upright Ruth? Right, uh, even in, Esther? in the book of Luke, Elizabeth is, and and Zechariah are called upright. They mm -hmm. are righteous. Elizabeth would be one of these upright women that Solomon was searching for. Anna as well. Right. So, yeah, just to let that be a comfort to you that the Bible doesn't say that women cannot be upright. That's not with this at all. He's just recognizing based on his circumstances, what's going on in the culture around him. And then, uh, last verse, last verse, truly this only I have found that God made man straight and that they have sought out many devices. So the word for man in both of those verses, isn't the word for male. It's the word Adam for mankind. So I found a, one mankind among a thousand. Now, we know in verse 28 that he's speaking of male because he contrasts it with woman very clearly. But in the second, in uh, verse 29, I don't think he's continuing on that. I think he's just talking about mankind in general. Uh, truly, this I found, that God made mankind upright. But mankind has then sought out many things which ends up corrupting them and causing them to fail. Mm -hmm. We were created to be good. We were created to be upright and righteous and good, and we screwed it up. Yep. I think that's what trying he's really to be at. Trying to be right. Right. Trying to seek after... Or trying to... Our own understanding. Trying to improve life in some ways. Uh, it, it, we could probably even go back to Genesis chapter 4 where the sons of, of Abel, or sorry, the sons of sons of Cain, um, create musical instruments and farming implements, but that also leads to, to weapons and it leads right. to leads to debauchery and it leads to, you know, these these things that are not inherently bad have both good and bad to them. We create these devices and the devices themselves are not uh, they're not evil or good in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. They just are. It's man. Who TNT. Is guns. Guns. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, we need to we need to recognize that it's man was made upright. We created a bunch of devices and then we, we ended up screwing it all up. Because we tend to follow our own our own heart, our own devices. I think it kind of interestingly enough contrasts with verse thirteen. So if God makes it crooked, who can straighten it? But God made it straight, and we made it crooked. Whew, what a chapter. You can see why that's probably, why that is my favorite chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes, because we've gone quite long in this episode. Yeah. It's so easy to just wax uh, poetic and to really try and dig into the many facets of 
this particular chapter. I think it's just got so much to say. It's definitely full. Definitely full. That's that is a uh, understatement. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, we'll go ahead and we'll let you go, everybody. And uh, as you go through the world, remember, seek life and all that you do. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Derish Chai. If you would like to find out more or support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we Derish Chai, as we seek life. Shalom.